Welcome to the DoD Be There podcast. I'm your host and military spouse, Raina. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. You can also follow us on Twitter at DoD Peer Support and on Facebook at Be There Peer Support. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Skip Rizzo. Dr. Rizzo is the director of the Medical Virtual Reality Research Group at the University of Southern California's Institute for Creative Technologies, an Army University-affiliated research center supported by the Army Research Lab. He, along with his team, have created a virtual reality therapy called BraveMind. Veterans are using this tech to confront their trauma with the close help of a clinical therapist. This exposure therapy can help reduce PTSD reactions to traumatic events. Let us get started. Uh, hello, Dr. Rizzo, and thank you for joining the DoD Be There podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with us. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, can you talk a little bit about what exposure therapy is and how it works? Yes. Well, exposure therapy is a, a well-proven approach, one of the best evidence-based approaches to the treatment of anxiety disorders and post-traumatic stress disorder. It helps a person to confront and process very difficult emotional memories from their past traumatic experience, but in the safety of the clinical office with a well-trained clinician. And the idea behind all this is to activate these kinds of emotions that are below the surface that people have avoided thinking about or avoided going to places that remind them of the events that they were traumatized by and instead engage them. And as you do that repeatedly, um, all of a sudden you start to see a reduction in anxiety, a reduction in the brain-based fear response, and the person begins to feel empowered. And admittedly, it's hard medicine for a hard problem. Um, but we do it in imagination, where the person closes their eyes and narrates their experience in imagination while the clinician asks probing questions and asks for more detail. Uh, but the problem with doing it exclusively in imagination is you have a lot of patients that, um, you know, really have spent months or sometimes years doing everything they can to suppress this from their imagination. And so what we do is use virtual reality to create simulations of Iraq and Afghanistan and customize them around the experience of the service member and uh, or veteran and um, and help them to gradually go back to that scene of the crime and to talk about it. Uh, it's not passive. The person is talking about what uh, they're going through as if it's happening right then and there. Meanwhile, the clinician has already put them in a relevant environment that mimics a little bit about what, you know, what the scene was that the person went through. And the clinician can control all the features and activities in the environment. So, you know, was it in the morning? Was it at night? Was it in the middle of the afternoon? Were there clouds in the sky? Were you using night vision? Were you in a Humvee? Were you in an MRAP? Were you in a turret driving? Were you on a foot patrol? Were you in an Afghan remote village or a mountain outpost, a uh, forward operating base in, you know, in a mountainous area or uh, a busy marketplace in, in an Iraqi city or an industrial zone or a slum area or a checkpoint. These are all the different worlds that we've created over time to, um, you know, basically uh, help someone to go back again, to, you know, to the place that they don't want to go back to. But as they do and confront these, these challenging emotional experiences, 
they start to feel empowered. I mean, it's, it's, it gets hard. It's harder in the beginning, but then once you get that first moment of success where person comes back after a session and they come back for the next session and put on a headset, it doesn't seem as bad as it felt the last time they did it. And they can talk about more things and, and they're talking to their clinician about things they never talked to anybody about. They don't want to burden their wife or their kids or family, friends, you know, that, so now this is the outlet and um, there's a, a deep amount of self-understanding that occurs in that process. That's great. You said um, this is hard medicine for a hard problem. And I've heard you say that in other interviews before. Can you sort of expand on that idea? Why does it take something so hard to make an impact? The reason I say hard medicine for a hard problem is because we're really trying to turn back a brain process in some folks, when they're exposed to a, a, a traumatic experience, a threatening event where there's real danger that they perceive, something happens in their brain. And, and, and you know, we're not talking about just simply having bad memories about a difficult deployment. No, we're not, and we're certainly not erasing those memories. Uh, your memories are your own, and, and uh, you'll always have those. But how you emotionally respond to that experience 5, 10, 15, 100, you know, 60 years later. That is affected by something that goes on in the brain. When we look at PTSD, a good way to put it is imagine anybody, imagine the worst thing you've gone through, maybe death of a loved one, a bad breakup, whatever, and think about how bad you felt that when it happened the day after, the week after, maybe even a month after, or however long it took for you to recover from it. Well, now imagine that same feeling going on six months, a year later, two years later, five years later. Every time you go into a crowd, you get triggered. Every time you see trash by the side of the road, it reminds you of where an IED was hidden and you almost veer off the road or going under an overpass on a freeway freaks you out. That, that, that is a, a, a part of what PTSD is. And I, I'm using the D part, and I'm actually more inclined to look at it as an injury. So I should be saying PTSI, I guess it's just a bad force of habit from over the years. But we're talking about um, a set of symptoms where you're hyper aroused, you have hypervigilance, you know, the kind of thing that maybe saved your life in a combat zone, being aware of what was around you. Well, you're still at that high, high performance level of arousal in situations where you don't need that. And somebody comes up behind you, puts their arm on your shoulder, you jump out of your skin or loud noise, 4th of July, fireworks, uh, you know, and, and consequently, so that's what, just there's one symptom. Then you see the other symptom you see is the nightmares, flashbacks, intrusive thoughts. Uh, then you also can see, uh, you know, avoidance. That's one of the big ones. Um, you know, people avoid once they come back and they start getting triggered in these real world everyday environments, they start avoiding it. And that avoidance now can actually influence their emotional and, and cognitive functioning. Maybe you start avoiding having deep conversations with people because talking about your emotions is so painful. The only way to, to recondition brain, specifically areas like the amygdala, the amygdala is the fight or flight area, is to activate that amygdala, but in the context of a safe environment so that 
you're in the you're in your virtual reality simulation that reminds you of that mimics what you went through uh, to a very high degree, I, I might add. Um, but you're in a safe place, and all of a sudden that that vigilant reaction. If you do this enough times, you get what we call extinction learning. That pro, that that reaction in the amygdala extinguishes, the frontal lobes kick in a little bit more. And again, while you'll still have these, these sad memories, you have more control over your emotional reaction to them. Um, you're not triggered. And, you know, that's not an easy process. Nobody wants to make anyone go through this. And the, the exposure therapists that I've known are some of the, the most sensitive, kind, warmest people and I think they implement this therapy because they, they know it works. And um, fortunately, with, with the exposure approach, you know, a couple of sessions is pretty difficult. But after that, you start to see the improvement. And so it's, you know, uh, anybody out there that thinks, you know, OK, I'm just going to ride this out and eventually I'll get better. You know, you don't need to suffer. You know, you have a toothache. Nobody likes going to the dentist, but you go because you want that pain to end. But I've seen people go years with that pain in their gut, in their heart, in their brain, whatever, um, and still resist getting help because they look at it as a sign of weakness or, uh, you know, that, that, you know, they can get through it on their own. You know, some, sometimes people do, but it's very rare. And I encourage people, you don't need to go through life, you know, with this carrying this burden around with you. So for veterans or service members that are just starting out, how do you control the intensity of the exposure so that it's not right away into the high intensity situation that they came from? That's a very good question. And, you know, one thing you got to keep in mind is the first three sessions in, uh, in this type of approach, you're not doing any exposure. You're getting to know the client. You know, you're getting to, you're talking to them. You're trying to hear a little bit, putting together a hierarchy of the events of things that uh, were very difficult for them. Uh, you're teaching them as well, um, stress management tactics, uh, deep breathing exercises, explaining the treatment rationale. So by the fourth session, you can, and you do this collaboratively, there's nothing being forced upon on the, on the, the, the client. Um, you know, the clinician will come in and say, okay, let's tackle this first. Let's get you in that Humvee. And you know, we don't have to go anywhere. Why don't we just sit by the side of a desert road? We'll have the sound of the wind go on and tell me a little bit about your experience. And it's only after patient goes through this experience, maybe feels some anxiety, but talks through it and, and gets done. Then you might say, okay, let's turn on the motor. Let's uh, head out on the road. Was it a dirt road? Was it a paved road? What time of day was it? And, you know, and then, you know, the client is narrating. So you might hear something like, um, okay, well, this, this really difficult experience for me was driving down a roadway and we we're approaching a village and I had a funny feeling and um, we hit an IED and my best friend died. And that's the first thing you hear. And it's like, okay. Now we got to peel back the onion a little bit and get to the emotion. Let's take it back 10 minutes before. Tell me about your, your best friend. What were you talking about? How did you, how long did you know him? And, and that's hard, you know, 
but you're getting more context, more information. And now you're in this simulation. It's a, a pretty realistic visual stimulation with um, good sound, good directional audio as well. Uh, you're feeling the vibration of driving down a roadway through subwoofers on a platform that you're you're either sitting or standing on. Um, so you're you're feeling that in your body as well. We have a smell generator, a scent generator, so you can smell the smell of diesel fuel, burning rubber cordite, gunpowder, body odor. Um, you know, whole collection of nasty smells. But those some for for some for some folks those things really bring people back. You know, they get a whiff of cordite and it's like, oh, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you've got that. Um, well, now so you can see how it starts to evolve, but it evolves in a dialogue with a well-trained clinician, and you never just all of a sudden spring something on somebody. You know, you negotiate with them beforehand. All right, now. We're actually going to set off that IED. Now, you said it was to the right of the vehicle and it was embedded in some trash. Okay, let's put some trash. We're going to put it up here. And uh, as you're approaching it and telling your story, the IED will go off. You know, and there you have it. You And, and you go through these things, you know, in that kind of a, a detail, always with the clinician trying to help the patient not to avoid it but to talk about it as hard as it may be. And, and you know, actually, when you start to see the, the jittery voice and maybe even a, a wet eye, you know, that's when you're starting to make progress. And that's when you're turning the corner. Um, you know, this stuff, it is it is like a psychological cancer. I hate to say that because, you know, people that go through cancer are going through hell. But it is something that if you don't, address it. You don't take it out. It's going to be there and it's going to grow. And this is why, you know, you look at people that never get treatment. It's very hard for them and their family. And it doesn't need to be that way. So if someone is looking to get help and to do exposure therapy, can you talk about where they can go to find this type of therapy? Well, certainly the exposure therapy is a frontline treatment at all, at all VAs. So you can go to any VA and walk in and say, you know, I, I want to deal with this. I want to deal with exposure therapy. I want to tackle it or cognitive processing therapy, um, still trauma focused. Um, and, and that will be available at every VA or any um, vet center, um, you know, outpost, whatever. That, that treatment is available through a teletherapy approach as well. Um, now using VR, um, that is not at every VA. It's, um, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of folks uh, are hesitant to adopt new technologies. Um, but in all cases, we see statistical and clinically meaningful reductions in PTSD symptoms with the VR. Maybe this is an approach that will appeal to a digital generation of service members veterans, you know, people that grew up with this technology and maybe are attracted to it. They played a lot of video games uh, and this makes sense to them. They might be more willing to do this than what they think is traditional talk therapy. And we're trying to find who are the people that can benefit from this. That's the next big question. I would like to be able to come up with a methodology so that when somebody comes in the door in a half hour, we can figure out, is this somebody that's going to benefit from imaginal exposure, from VR exposure, from cognitive processing therapy, from uh, EMDR, you know, what is the best match 
for the individual to get the best outcome. That's really where the research is uh, is really, I think, going to be heading next. Because we now we have a menu, we have a, a buffet, if you will, of different um, approaches that have empirical evidence to support their value. Right. So what is your ultimate goal with the Brave Mind Project? When will you know you've been successful or you've hit that target? When it's at every, it's available at every VA, the cost of the computing and the VR headsets, as you know, VR is, is in a renaissance period right now. And, you know, a headset, a head-mounted display that would have cost, you know, five or $10,000 10 years ago is now $400 and much better and more comfortable. Uh, you know, so the, the cost for all this, it runs on a standard laptop or PC. The cost to do this is, is very cheap. Uh, th there's been a lot of uptake. The original version went out to about 100 sites and the new version uh, is out at about 40. And now we, we're doing the amplified version and we're hoping to get this out everywhere. And that, and that would be my dream that uh, this would be available. So anybody that, that contacted me, I'd be able to say, okay, here's the address, <laughs> you know, um, have it mapped out. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Rizzo. We really appreciate you being here and for sharing um, your talents and your research with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Be There podcast. The Be There peer support line is available 24-7-365 at 844-357-PEER. That's 844-357-7337. The Be There podcast is in support of the DOD Be There peer support call and outreach center. The center is staffed by veterans and military spouses who understand military life and who've been there. If you're struggling with something and you just need someone to talk to, or if you're looking for specific resources related to education or PCS or separating from the military, there's no issue too small. The call center is available to all service members and their families.